Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Hey everyone, this is your host Dan Bruton. You're listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. My guest today is Jerry Colonna. I loved my conversation with Jerry, and if you have not had a chance to check out his podcast, it's called the Reboot Podcast. I uh, highly encourage you to look it up. He records executive coaching sessions with founders and CEOs and other leaders. And a lot about what we talked in our conversation for this podcast was really, you know, the shared experience of being a leader and how his work uh, is helping folks uh, become better people. And so his book is called The Art of Leadership and Growing Up. It's coming out June 18th. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jerry. Jerry, thanks for being on the podcast. Welcome to Portland. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be here. So I know you have your own podcast. You usually ask this question, mm-hmm. but I'd love for you just to introduce yourself and sure. talk a little about who you are and the work you do. Sure. My name is Jerry Colonna, and I am an executive coach, uh, CEO of a company called Reboot, Reboot.io. And um, yeah, I'm the author of a book that's coming out in June, and I'm super excited about that. You've also been called the CEO Whisperer. I have been called the CEO <laughs> and, and I've read articles. Mostly this, because I whisper. Yeah. <laughs> and this man makes founders cry, right? That's right. So, That's right. so be prepared. Where's your tissue? Yeah. <laughs> well, kind of a little bit of background. I know, I mean, you're a former venture capitalist. Right. So can you talk a little bit about, I know you had a firm with Fred Wilson, who he spoke at some of my events a long time ago. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of Fred. Uh, can you talk about your work with Fred and how you made that transition to coaching? Sure. So um, I went into the venture capital business in 1994. Um, I had a a career in journalism, which led to a career in sort of management at that publishing company. And then I left that at really about 28, 29, and then went into venture capital. Um, Launched one firm, CMG Adventures. uh, and was really unhappy. And about a year, year and a half later, um, through mutual friend, um, connected with uh, with Fred Wilson, and then ended up launching Flatiron Partners in 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in business together as Flatiron until 2001, um, when I turned 38, and. Um, really had to confront um, a very deep and profound depression that was very much um, fueled, among other things, by the impending midlife Mm -hmm. of what I was going through. And uh, as a result, I actually walked away from the venture business altogether um, and then eventually found myself as a, a coach solo practitioner, and then eventually five years ago launched to reboot the company. Mm-hmm. And I know your firm now, I mean, you say radical self-inquiry, right? right. And can you talk about you know what that, what, what that means? Sure. Uh, so the term radical self-inquiry is something I coined almost in frustration, trying to define uh, something that I, I, I find incredibly important 
which is a way at which to get at a core question that I think really underlies all of our challenges as leaders and arguably our challenges as adults. And the question goes like this. How have I been complicit? How have I been complicit in creating the conditions I say I don't want? Hmm. I say I don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and the structure of that question is really important because I say complicit because I don't want people to feel compl- entirely responsible but to understand that they have kind of helped things along, if you will. And then the second half of that is this notion that I say I don't want to feel, in the case of a CEO, for example, completely stressed and feel like nobody can make any decision except me. I hate that, except that I like that. Right, And that structure I find really interesting And what I term as radical self-inquiry is the process by which the self-delusions are stripped away with compassion so that you actually start to see the underlying structures of your choices and your character structure. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the team you built at Reboot, um, and you moved, right, when you built it? Did you move to Colorado or were you already there? Well, so I have three co-founders, uh, Khaled Halim, Dan Putt, and Allie Schultz. And there are now, I think if you count the independent contractor coaches that are part of our network, about 25, 26 people. Um, when we first came together, I was uh, living in New York and um, we had offices in New York. And then uh, about a year later, I personally moved uh, Dan had moved from New York, but so we still continue to have a, a fairly large presence in New York, a very large presence in San Francisco, and of course, a large presence in Boulder. Yeah, great town. Great town. <laughs> um, Portland's pretty cool too. It is cool. You said yeah, this is your first I'm, time here, right? I, so. It is, and I'm really <laughs> enjoying it. Uh, well, let's talk about the book. It's uh, the title. If I'm getting right, it's uh, Leadership in the Art. Of growing up, yeah, it's re- reboot leadership and the art of growing up. And it's June June eighteenth. June eighteenth. Um, why why write the book? And tell me a little bit of the, the. I'm looking forward to reading it, but I mean, what what spurred you said to write it? Was someone approach you, or is it just time? Well, uh, and I tell this a little bit in the book um, about two years ago, um, Hollis Heimbach from uh, HarperCollins reached out to me via email. And I had been approached by a number of different publishers over the years, Hollis, in fact, once before, um, and wanted to get together and talk about the potential of doing a book. And we sat down, and I wasn't actually really sure what book I was going to do, um, which I've subsequently come to understand is not that uncommon. Um, And... As I started to write the book, it became clearer and clearer to me what the book was going to be. But that wasn't your question. Your question was why. Um, I think that the answer to that lies in the same answer or is related to the same answer of why do I do what I do? Mm-hmm. Why do we launch Reboot? Um, and in a, in a sense... Um, leadership is really hard people are hurting people are hurting themselves 
Um, and as I often say to people, I don't want you to feel that because leadership is hard and the challenges of working is so hard, I don't want you to feel like shit about yourself. I don't want you going home and wondering whether or not you should wake up in the morning. Hmm. I don't want you to take it out on your family and your friends. Um, and so when you strip away all of the delusions that I might have about content and the reason, I was looking for a way, first and foremost, to send a, to, 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 to find a way to express the message of what we're trying to do, of what I believe is a path for people, which is to understand the structures of your own life so that you can be free of the unconscious forces of your own life, so that you get to choose, finally, to be the adult that you were born to be. That's one motivation. The other motivation is, and I speak to this in the book, I have been a writer in search of finding a voice since I was a boy. Mm. And um, those who know me know that I have been working on this book in one way or another since I was five. Mm. Um, and so there's a deeply personal reason, which is that um, you know, growing up with the kinds of fears and violence and challenges that I had to finally be the man who has his voice and his words and to speak well mm-hmm. um, means a tremendous amount for that boy inside of me. Can you talk about some of the key tenets of the book? I know one yeah. one was is, I think, the vulnerability, right? Well, it's more than that. Yeah. It, the, the, the basic premise of the book goes like this. Since leadership is so hard, it presents these tremendous opportunities for people to grow, to f- confront the demons of their life that have held them back. And as a result, use the process of the position that you find yourself in, your work, to finish the process of growing up and becoming the adult. And here's the really important part. Those who hold positional power who choose to do that work end up leading better. And if we just sort of take a moment and say, imagine if all of those who hold political power in our communities took the time to understand what it was that was really driving them, maybe they wouldn't do so much violence in the world. And maybe they'd actually lead in a way that was sustaining and life-giving and most important, create the opportunity for those who have less power to do their work. That's the basic message of the book. Well, and I know <laughs> I'm going to be selfish here and get a, get a couple of questions. Which uh, means you're going to be coached, right? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So one of your I'll recent... send you a bill after. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one of the recent podcasts you had was... Um, uh, just came, I think, maybe last couple of weeks, and you talked about there's this time, not only in your life, but a lot of folks' life, um, between kind of 38 and 55. Yeah. I'm right there until I'm 38. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very transformative f- for you. Uh, and a lot of folks uh, that come to my events, their leaders, they're mm-hmm. right in that period, too. 
and whether they're going to their next chapter. So I'd love for you just, did you write anything about that specifically in the book or is that just something you mentioned in the podcast? I didn't know if it was. I do, I do speak to that time period. Um, but as I do, um, with a lot of things in the book, um, I tell stories from my own life and then composite stories from the lives of those I've observed and helped. Um, and so there isn't a chapter saying midlife, yeah, how to handle it. <laughs> but I do speak to the experience of waking up one day and, as I often say about my own self, having that ennui feeling, that feeling of like, excuse me, I'm going to curse. Fuck, yeah. is this my life? This? After all that I thought I was going to be, this is what I, I, I go home and I and I have to confront. And then I'm not. And all of those questions start to come up. And it's a time period that um, can produce an enormous amount of um, shame and pain and fear. Um but as I often say to people, I like to think of myself as the older brother, the older sibling, on the other side of that saying, it's going to be okay. Dan, mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. You're going to pass through this period, and your kids are going to be fine, yeah. and your spouse is going to be fine, and you're going to be fine, and you'll figure it all out. It's just scary. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I mean, there's a couple other things I want to get your maybe opinion on mm-hmm. as someone who works with you know, leaders and founders. Is there's an article that came out in the Atlantic maybe like last month and it said the religion of work is making Americans miserable. Mm-hmm. And did you read that? Or I did not it? read it. And it was this notion of, you know, back in the 30s, uh, John Maynard Keene said, we're going to reduce our work a week so much that we're going to have to figure out what to do with our leisure. <laughs> but what's happening with some folks, main, mainly white collar, is it's the opposite. Our, our identity is tied into our work. Yeah. Um, I feel that very much. And I know a lot. Of, I've been sharing this article with you know leaders that come to my events. Yeah. And so... Does that resonate or with? Oh, completely. And 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 to be clear, I'm about to opine on an article I haven't read, so <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I'll steer away from opining on an article I haven't read, and uh, I will tell a story that I've often told, which is an ancient tale of a potter. It's an ancient Chinese tale. And the potter spends his entire life trying to perfect the most exquisite glaze imaginable. And at the end of his life, deciding that his life, his meaningful life was over, he walks into the kiln and disappears into the fire. The next day, potter's assistants open up the kiln, take out the pots, and they're covered with the most exquisite glaze imaginable. And that's the story. And like a lot of stories, we don't know what to make of that. Mm-hmm. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think what the article may be speaking to is the dearth of a sense of purpose and connectedness that we are trying to use our work 
to fill a hole in our chest. And we're trying to make ourselves feel worthy by, if you think of the line from the story I told, the potter decides his meaningful life is over, which means that there's a clue in there, which is that the meaning is only in the pursuit of the glaze. How fucked up is that? And yet, it does create a beautiful pot. Because they're covered with the most exquisite glaze imaginable. And so, it's a really challenging experience for us. What I encourage clients to do, what I encourage folks who read the book, what we at the company try to do is to ask people to surface the parts of themselves that are driving them to presume that the source of meaning and worth is their work. And to understand that those unconscious drivers may kill them. And I think that's what that article may be trying to address. Is the, you know, I think it was Emerson who said, speaking in a gendered, non-neutral way, the vast majority of men lead lives of quiet desperation. I don't think this is a recent phenomena. I think this is a human phenomena. And I think that most of the wisdom traditions I've ever encountered have asked us to stand still, slow down, and call that into question. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, talking about that because, like I said, I don't know. It's just coming, I'm seeing more about it. And it's resonating with a lot of folks that come to mind. That's because you're 38. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Uh, well, you know when you get a red car and then you're driving and all you see are red yes, cars. Yes, yes. Okay, that's what's going on here. That's dude. what's going on. Yeah. yeah, and it's a lack of sleep with the one month old. Yes, too, but it's the lack of sleep with the one month old. So, well, one of the last things I want to talk about, Jerry, is uh, you know the, the program you have, uh, circles. Right, there's these mm-hmm. peer coaching groups mm-hmm. you do throughout the country, and you know what I see, what I do here. Look, I just think that peer like accountability and. and mm-hmm. Is so important. Can you talk about how you created that program and just some of that? Well, it was really uh, driven. Uh, it was a group process designed primarily by um, um, uh, Dan Putt, my co-founder, and Andy Christinger, one of my other colleagues, um, but deeply uh, informed by the work of many others, including uh, my other co-founders, Khalid Halim and Ali Schultz. What we tried to do, and I think what we succeeded in doing, is creating a facilitated way for peers to come together and to actually support each other. And I think that this is important because um, there are not enough good coaches in the world. There are not enough good therapists in the world. There are not enough good mentors. We actually have to help each other. Um, The essence of health is healthy community. And the Reboot Circles program is one of many, many programs that can help individual entrepreneurs, individual leaders, whether you're at the CFO level, whether you're at the CEO level, to just sit down in a safe space and go, damn, it's hard. Let me tell you about the crazy thing that happened today. 
and just be able to look across the table or in our case across a video screen and and just feel people who aren't going to fix you or judge you or set you straight but they're going to listen empathetically and understand and maybe occasionally have a suggestion but mostly listen well, this being your first time in Portland, I know you work with founders in the Northwest. Right. A lot of we talk about this podcast, just kind of the growth here in this area mm. of founders moving here, mm. coming up from the Bay Area. Mm. Um, you know, it's a great place to start a company now. It's probably what, a great place to raise a family. It is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, do you just, in the work you do, do you have a sense of kind of what's going on here that... Maybe some of the, your clients. Well, uh, to be clear, or? a number of the folks who are going to be at um, my book event tonight mm-hmm. uh, here at Cloudability are um, former clients or folks who have uh, attended one of our boot camps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do feel like I'm going to be seeing a bunch of old friends, mm-hmm. which feels wonderful. But um, a number of my colleagues have actually done a significant amount of work here in the town for a number of different local startups. Um, it just happens to be my first time. Right. But I keep emphasizing the word first because I have a feeling I'll be back. Yeah, that's so, good. It's actually a pretty cool place to live. I it can is. see that. Well, I'm jealous. You already you went on a two-hour walk in Forest Park. I live here. I don't even get to do that. <laughs> so. You will. Yeah. <laughs> the baby will grow up, yeah. and you will be able to go for a walk again. <laughs> Well, Jerry, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I hope you enjoy the rest of the time in Portland. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm Dan Bruden, and you've been listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. Original music was composed for this episode by Levi Downey. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts.